I can't believe that I've made it this far. So I just want to thank each of you from the bottom of my heart for going on this journey with me. I'm really excited to take a little break and then jump right back into season two. So let me know in the comments what you want to hear, what you didn't hear, what I suck at, what I'm great at. Like, let me know. I'm really one of those people that like thrives off of crit constructive criticism. So let me have it. All right, my fabulous listeners, welcome to the last episode of Shut Up Chanel in 2023. And I'm really excited for my guest today. He's not just a designer, he's a visionary who's graced the entertainment industry with his unparalleled talent and creativity. Marco's designs have adorned some of the biggest stars in television, earning him not one, but two prestigious Emmy Awards. His work is not just about clothing, it's about crafting a narrative through fabric, color, and style. So whether you're a fashion enthusiast or someone who appreciates the art of storytelling through costume, you're in for a treat. Or if you just want to know how the fuck Marco and I became friends, join us as we delve into the world of Marco Marco, exploring his journey, his aspirations, and the magic he weaves into every stitch. Without further ado, let's welcome the man behind the hands, the man behind the masterpieces, the Emmy-winning costume extraordinaire, Marco motherfucking Marco. Oh, shit. Oh, it lets you know I'm recording. Sneaky, sneaky. Okay, now let me just make sure we're on speaker. Okay, perfect. All right, I already I already uh, pre-filmed your little introduction, so I'm just going to do a little under for you right now. So okay. today I am beyond thrilled to introduce a guest who's not only a fashion icon, but also a two-time Emmy-winning costume extraordinaire known by many as Marco Marco. He is my best friend, my brother from another mother, the man behind the hands and the masterpieces. Welcome to the stage, Marco. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Marco. How's it going? It's going. For those li just listening, Marco's driving around because he is a godfather now and his godchild is sleeping. <laughs> I am not allowed to podcast in the house. <laughs> Marco's joining us from the road today, but I'm so excited to have you on. I can't believe it's the last episode of Shut Up Chanel in 2023. Yeah, can you believe it? You made it all the way through. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, can you believe that I've made it? I really can't. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm having trouble believing it even now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You know, I mean, look, it took you a while to get it going. I, I feel like you had the, I feel like you had the impetus to do this show for like a couple years, maybe two years, mm -hmm. maybe three years. Mm -hmm. And then like, you probably, you know, we got to that original podcast kit to get you going and, I think you sat on that for about a year. It was and, a full uh, year. <laughs> but you know, like once you got started, you, you're not you're not someone to leave you know an empty plate. So once you got started, I knew you were going to keep going. And you have so many good people to to interview. I mean, my sister was just talking about this show yesterday. Just like blown away at your you know your lineup. Like for season one, 
for us, it's less remarkable because we understand who you are and like your relationship to these people. But I imagine for somebody who's like just sort of tuning in for the first time, they're going to be like, who is this bitch? Like, why does she know all these people? You know what I mean? <laughs> why does she have every winner from the show? Like what? <laughs> where, where, where are her normal, where are her human friends? You know, like. <laughs> I got, yeah, I'll give them a San Diego bitch next season. Here so, comes Brittany. Here comes Brittany Wise. <laughs> well, I didn't get your music ahead of time. So what are you performing for us today? I'll be doing Shut Up, Shut, shut Up, Shut Up by uh, Fergie and the Black Eyed Peas. Perfect. Bringing it back to your roots. <laughs> well, before we get to like your roots, I kind of want to get to the roots of how you and I met. This was kind of something that you kind of like gave, like in the beginning, I was like, what the hell am I going to do on this podcast? And you were like, why don't you start with like how you like your interpretation of how you met all these people, because their interpretation is probably going to be different. Honestly, yeah. through going through this journey, I mean, a lot of our stories synced up. I think maybe you and I. <laughs> That's funny you say that because I, I have uh, I have issues with um, almost every story on every podcast. <laughs> you know, I, I started by thinking I would go through the whole thing and write down my discrepancies. I decided to just let it slide. <laughs> I almost thought um, so like this, this should be a recap episode where you tell me. You should... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you, uh, but yeah how did you that, and we i can do that bonus for the patreon <laughs> bonus for the patreon marco will fact check my episodes and tell all of the lies <laughs> yes yes drag race when you did you start on the first season or the third season i started on season three so what was that like 2014 or 2013 or something like that it was like 2012 it was like 2012 Okay, so then that's when we met, and I was, uh, you know, coming on coming on set from having smoked a joint with uh, one of our uh, producers. I walked in the door, and you, you know, very sort of like, you know, abruptly just showed up in front of me and loudly, way too loudly and inappropriately, spoke to your elder, saying, <laughs> what did you say? You were like, you smell like weed. I want to smoke weed. Like, so loud. <laughs> And uh, like, I was just, was, I just remember thinking like, this person in front of you is going to be a liability and you need to, uh, <laughs> you need to distance yourself as much as possible. And I think you asked me for my phone number and I said, no, I ignore enough people as it is. <laughs> and then, you know, I spent about a year hiding behind bushes until you finally uh, carved a little space for you in my life, much like a tick or a, a non-curable STD. You have you have stayed faithfully by my side. <laughs> you know, this is just some advice for all the listeners. When you want when you want something, you just really gotta go for it. But it's like almost a little twin flamey. Like if anyone's watching the documentary on Twin Flames, like that's actually not the best advice for you to go after someone that's 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 not interested. But I knew it's deep very, down. It's very it's the part of Twin Flames when uh, when he has to go knock on that person's door he's never met every day. <laughs> it's no, like I think no. the day that it happened, you know, because you were friends with Hector because he has terrible taste in people. We had a Christmas party at my house, which was at the time down on like Mid Wilshire, and Hector showed up and 
he was like hiding you behind him. So he like stepped to the side and then you were there. And I just thought, my God, there is nothing I can do to get away from this woman. So I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to have to learn to love. <laughs> and then I would go to your studio every day and I would just sit there. And I like, I was, I loved Beyonce, but like, I felt like at that point in my life, I didn't have enough people around me that appreciated Beyonce. And at your studio at the time, Beyonce music videos were on all the time. And I would yeah. just sit there and smoke weed and watch music. And I think it was my first time watching music videos with gay men. Like that right. was like a huge shift for me. Like I was like, wait, I could hang around guys and watch Beyonce. Like this is the right. dream. Like I don't I have to. I don't have to pretend I like football anymore. <laughs> That's such a great fucking point because when I found gay men, I was like, oh, like I've just been pretending to like all this stuff that straight guys like. I would be like, you don't like football. Come on, you don't like. No, I do. I swear. No, you don't. No, you don't. I have a charger bolt tattoo. Yeah. That that just shows how hard I went for the straight boys. I feel like that was your uh, that was your dark night of the soul. <laughs> Getting the charger tattoo. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm gonna fact check you. So it wasn't Drag Race season three. We met on the set of RuPaul's Drag You. Ah. So, you. That was an incredible, incredible situation. Right. And I don't, people don't even know about, like, I do want to like little recap. So like at the end of season two of Drag Race, World of Wonder created a spinoff called RuPaul's Drag You, where RuPaul created a university where the drag queens were the professors. And there was like middle-aged women that like needed to get their groove back would come. Yeah to drag you and we would kind of transform them from like, you know, moms to like drag queens. And, yeah, and we had, uh, mm -hmm. we had Matthew Anderson, who was like, you know, such an incredible artist on, uh, well, in, in all, in all respects, mm -hmm. but uh, in sp specifically for that show, he would take these sort of like, you know, off-brand photos, you know, Polaroids of these women and he would turn them into these incredible, you know, high-end photo photographs of them in drag as their like full potential, right? And and it and it was really you know astonishing to see what he could do. But then he would give that that piece of artwork to twenty-five-year-old me, <laughs> along with like a hundred and twenty dollars, and I would have to figure out how to turn this woman <laughs> into that image. And that was a totally different experience, you know. And 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 also it had to be done in a way where you know, it really looked like the girls were, the girls were doing it. You know what I mean? But, you know, when you see Manila going like this, it's actually my hands that are the table cutting the actual fabric <laughs> with her hands holding some hero scissors like this. <laughs> it was totally called the Dragulator, I remember. We were on set of RuPaul's Drag You. Hector was... In fact, my first gay friend, he was the first gay boy to give me a chance. And I just, I, when and I- we all have to suffer for his mistakes. <laughs> it's really all Hector's fault, all of this. And I am going to have him on it season is. two it because- um, he's Oh, good. I, yeah, I have to have him on season two to like really give the story to everyone. For sure. <laughs> 
But Marco and I, we, I forced myself into your life. I really did. I was like, I just knew I was like, this is the life that I want to live. And I just knew that we were going to be friends. And I'm going to take it from you. <laughs> <laughs> but if you listen to the Ray Latre episode, Ray Latre really did at, at, at a period in our lives, handpick yeah. a group of friends and decided that we all should be friends together. Yeah, and I don't know if you spoke about it the, uh, on that episode, but it was, you know, Rhea really is sort of like a, you know, she brought our whole group together. And even now, however many years later it is, even now that there's been, you know, turnover and, and you know, people are better friends with different people and blah, blah, blah. We are still very much like, there is a sense of family there. I, I was under the impression the first night that I hung out with everybody, that everybody had been sort of part of this big group of friends and and I had been invited in and I was always so grateful to Rhea because I felt like she really like, you know, took a chance on me and let me into this like really cool group of people that was so eclectic. And uh, I remember telling Stephen Deller that, you know, years later and, and he looked at me like I was crazy saying, you know, what are you talking about? I had never met anybody until that night. And I thought that was curious. So I I told Sam Garfield and he told me the same thing. And I, I came to realize that Rhea had sort of just chosen all of us randomly and told us all that we were the new guy and <laughs> put us in a room together. Like what a social experiment because we ended up spending years together. And I mean that like literally, like we would be in the same room hanging out till six in the morning and then we'd be back together at 11 a.m. going to lunch and we would do the whole day like that. I mean, we just spent every single minute together for so long and it was you know it was it, it was unsustainable and exhausting but it was also like an incredible you know unforgettable experience that'll hold forever you know it's one of those group relationships that you don't get many times in your life so totally and like we had you know we had just like kind of worked together we had this like work and I would like because I would be at World of Wonder I'd come to your studio it was like always this like work kind of relationship and Rhea kind of like brought us into like the scene if you will like it was yeah. more we were we were just hanging out with drag queens at that time like it was like we worked with drag queens we hung out with drag queens but we didn't have like this sense of like community and nightlife in west hollywood and Rhea really like gave that to us yeah and i think it was also you know we were all sort of like just at the beginnings of what would end up being our careers right like mm -hmm. i was i was doing i had been doing this for you know maybe like eight to 10 years at that point. And I was like, just sort of getting my foothold in the industry. Drag Race had been on a couple seasons and those girls had started to really build the foundation for what is now like a huge, a huge, I don't know, like global franchise. I, I don't mm -hmm. know what you call it. Like it's insane, Yeah, you know? it's a global it's franchise. It's insane, you know. The first Marco Marco show when I was like in charge of RSVPs, which gets me, I do, we are going to like, I do want to reflect back on your time on Drag Race, but me and you, so we met on Drag U, you were already a veteran of the show. You were there yeah. at the very beginning of Drag Race. Yeah. I don't even know if yeah. people know that. Marco worked on season one of RuPaul's Drag Race. Tell the listeners what that was like and how, how it kind of came about that you worked on Drag Race. My uh, studio, uh, my the studio that I worked in at the time when Drag Race was beginning was basically right across the street from World of Wonder. And I had a reputation for being very fast. You know, like what we do at the studio in terms of costume design is really like, uh, what do you call it? It's like crisis management. You know, people come to us when they need something that night.
they need something, you know, that no one else is willing to do. And so I had gotten this reputation of being able to create things very quickly. And I got a call from RuPaul, sort of cold open, like I'd never met before. And uh, they asked if uh, they could come talk to me about a new project that they were working on. And basically Ru was curious, like, you know, we sat in the back of my studio and talked about America's Next Top Model, Project Runway, and how the idea was to sort of mash all these shows together um, because drag queens were these sort of multifaceted artists who had talents in a lot of different areas. The questions were basically like, do you think these drag queens can put something together in one day? You know, what ended up being my job on set was sort of a consultant position to begin with. At the beginning of the season, I would get the briefing of all the challenges that they had in mind that they were wanting to do. And I had to sort of come up with like what the feasibility of that project is. Like, do you think that these girls will be able to, you know, decorate a boat and make an outfit um, and uh, style these wigs? Uh, how many hours do you think they're going to have? And I would help come up with that. And then I would go to downtown and I would purchase materials and I would set up all the sewing machines. And then uh, the first day that the girls came on set, the very first thing that they would do is they'd have a, a talk with the main producer at the time. I think his name was Steve. Steve, he would give me the, like, ch the challenge yep. producer, Steve. Steve was a stickler, man. He didn't give you <laughs> an extra second. He was going to make sure that that show was legit. He gave each of the girls 15 minutes with me alone, showing them how to work a sewing machine that took me, you know, a decade to really master. <laughs> And in those 15 minutes, I'd have to show them everything I could about how to sell. And then, you know, immediately on the first break, I'd have to fix all the machines because they'd all have been broken. Uh, and that was my position for years, you know, and that's, you know, it was, it was huge for me in terms of, hey, like, introducing me to, you know, what was ultimately my favorite clientele, you know, because in the world of, you know, mainstream music people want to be extra but they don't want to be the kind of extra that i'm interested in you know, like i want extra and like the only people who see that as like totally normal are drag queens <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, no i've know, said it before like we i love monsters <laughs> yeah you know me too like i love someone who's like no i want that you know people who come to you and they want something that is just like it doesn't sound like it's possible you know and i love the challenge of like figuring out what that is because for me it really like utilizes like my whole range of interests from like you know create i love creating pieces for for you know music industry i love creating things that feel outside of the box i love doing crafty things like i love prop making and so you know the drag community is really just like the sweet spot for me in terms of like what i like to design and what people want from me. and you know that it also gave me like the confidence to like continue going in that direction because I think at the time I had my little shop and I was, you know, sitting there for eight to 10 hours a day with absolutely no customers and, you know, getting, getting, you know, one or two stylists to come in and give me a job that would sustain me for the month, but then having nothing the rest of the month. And so, like, mm -hmm. you know, I started to feel myself, wanting to homogenize what I did. Like, I was like, okay, maybe I need to make clothes that are just like 
cooler and like more normal, you know, like, let me just make like a, you know, a relaxed blouse or some shit like that, or like a pair of, you know, human pants with two legs. Like these were all things that had never really interested me. And I was starting to feel like if I was going to do what I wanted to do, that that's, that was the road that I was going to have to take. And Drag Race really gave me that opportunity to like jump out of that pool and, and continue going on the path that I had originally set for myself. So, you know, for that, I'll be forever grateful. Like that's something that I'll never be without. And to this day, what is this? 17 years later or something like that? How many I'm, seasons is it? I mean, yeah. Like, I don't even know how many. It's like, it's a lot. It's great. We're like 17 yeah, years. So, we're like about like 15 to 17 years later. Yeah. And so like, you know, in all that time, like I have never stopped working with pros on the show. You know, it has been, and, and they only get more and more extravagant. And I love it because it pushes me to keep uh, finding new ways of doing what I do, you know? Totally. When we were in New York for Marco Marco's show, we were walking down the street. It was me, you, and Kylie. And she had asked you, like, we had known her for, what, like, over a decade? And she hadn't even known, like, how you started, how you began. And I really loved, like, kind of what you told her. So, like, for the listeners... Before we met on Drag You, before you started on Drag Race, fill us in on like how you got started. In school, in high school, I loved you know musicals. I loved to sing. I was very into that, and um, and I really thought that that was the way I was going to go. I had recorded some demos, and I was you know interested in performing in on on stage. You know, my senior year. We did uh wait really quick like for the listeners like marco could sing <laughs> like really good <laughs> like really <laughs> fucking good okay keep going <laughs> i i was i don't know i've had a cigarette or two since then but uh the you know we did into the woods and it was such a important show to me and i just wanted it to be so good and I hated the costumes and it really wasn't something that I had necessarily been interested in. It was just something that I felt like I needed to do in order for it to be right. You know, I think mm -hmm. if anything, like my relationship to costumes up until that point had been like, sort of like this, like, I didn't understand why sometimes they were so bad. Like, you know, like, <laughs> you see, like, you would see like a Superman movie and I loved, you know, I loved comic books and I loved superheroes and I, and I, what I loved about them was how dynamic the images were, how beautiful all the costumes looked, you know, the way the fabric would just billow. And then they were so like awesome. And then you would watch the movie and they'd be wearing these like cheap jumpsuits, right? That was really the extent, you know, or, you know, five years old, Halloween, you're a Smurf. And your costume is like blue pajamas that say Smurf on them. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, this is this is just like it doesn't make sense to me. So I think that was probably like my only relationship to costumes. But that sort of came to fruition in this Into the Witch show, where I was literally watching, you know, the Broadway version and making the costumes from the Broadway version out of like cardboard, and they were beautiful. And that's really where I got my start. And that show was kind of how I got into school. You know, I went to CalArts. That was the only school I wanted to go to. I hated school. I did not want to go to college. I wanted to go to Broadway. You know, CalArts. <laughs> Straight to Broadway. Straight to Broadway. But CalArts was the compromise. And I wanted to go there so much so that I, I applied to every single 
school within CalArts. So I applied to the music school, the dance school, the, the <laughs> design school, the painting. I, I applied to every single program that they had. Scenic design was the first one to answer. And they called me in and they liked me and they said, you know, we've already filled our quota for this year for scenic designers, but we will take you if you promise to double major in costume design. We think that you're a costume and so I said yes, and I went to school. And, you know, ultimately they were right. I hated building sets. I hated painting giant pieces of wood. <laughs> you know, I wasn't really into the construction. I loved the props and craft making. And I loved the costume shop. It just felt like, you know, this the detail work. Even though I didn't want to learn how to do any of it, I loved the idea of it. And so, like... But isn't really that funny exciting. how, like, a lot of you are costumes now are these like builds yeah it's like it's it's it is funny because i think most of my most of my time learning how to make clothes was spent kind of like rejecting what i was supposed to do like i didn't want to have to do whatever they told me to do i would do whatever i could to like figure it out on my own and over time you know you get bigger and bigger jobs, people expect more and more of you. And what they expect of you isn't just what you do anymore. They want like their version of it. So like they want what you do, but they want it this way. And you really just have to learn. And now I do sometimes look back at people like, oh my God, like I am literally like, you know, thrilling this person over like this like quarter inch scene. I would have mm-hmm. never done that in the past, you know? But I think ultimately, you know, it's like you're in the same boat like you know what you do now is so specific compared to what you did then you know it's sort of like even though you know you're going to go into this field like what you don't know is how many avenues there are within a field you have no idea yeah so like on because i tell people that all the time like like you don't have to know exactly what you want to do because like that's not up to you like honestly like anything that's happened to me like wasn't up to me Like, I just had to keep putting myself out there and show people, like, what I was good at. And then my career kind of, like, fell into place, if that makes sense. I also think that, like, when you're young, like, you know, you may have an inkling or an idea of where it is that you're going to land. But you don't necessarily know actually what you're good at because you haven't really been put through the fire yet. And I think, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I feel really confident about today that I would have never assumed was where I would be shining. You know what I mean? Like, I really didn't understand, like, my relationship to organization or, like, the execution of a project. Like, I feel like I really do well, you know, with a team, breaking things down and, 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 and taking a large project and making it, you know, sort of, like, manageable chunks that, that a group of people can make. I, I, I had no idea that I was able to do any of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That just came out of the necessity of having to do it because either nobody else was or because that's what the project entailed. And um, ultimately, you know, what you're saying is I think you're sort of right, like you, you, in the sense that you don't really you're not really in charge right, of like what you end up doing. But I think in a way you are because the jobs that you're getting are the jobs that other people are seeing you for. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you may think that you're doing this thing. But someone else, like, like, you don't realize when you're young how many people are actually watching you and who are, you know, either rooting for you or wanting to take you down. <laughs> it's you know, both. both. I know. I feel like it was, like, so hardcore when I was younger. Like, people were, like, like 
like, I don't know, like questioning your intention, questioning like how good you are. Like I, I always felt like I had to prove myself. This is the first couple years. You of did my have life. to prove yourself. Yeah. You did have to prove yourself. Listen, chill. You know, I've listened to every one of these episodes that you've done. And the reality is that, you know, you say like, oh, people called you shut up Chanel or whatever. You did have to prove yourself because like ultimately, like, you know, everybody that we know has worked so hard just to have their life. Right. And like every person that you bring into it, you know, it's like, you know, you've, you've been in my life for 20 years. now, Right. Like, I'd be goddamned if I didn't make you prove yourself before you start. <laughs> He did, you guys, when we, when finally one day on set, I'll never forget it. We were on set. I think it was season four. I, it had to have been season four. I think all of season three, you wouldn't give me your phone numbers. Season, I still, cause, but I still managed to hang out with you. I would just show up, but season four, you needed, like, I don't know. I think like you were coming to the same party I was going to or something. And you were like. Or you needed something from one of the queens. That's what it was. <laughs> you needed something from one of the queens and you knew I was like the Wrangler bitch and you were like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for your phone number. And I was like, so excited, everyone. Like I literally, <laughs> you could not tell me it was like, it was like Leonardo DiCaprio had asked for my fucking phone number. And I was so excited. And then to like pan to like five years later when I like got you to move in with me and you framed or you gave me a magazine that you were on the cover of and you were like you wrote your phone number on <laughs> and you're like now you can have my phone number i'm like now that i got you to move in with me <laughs> what was your big break so you found you know you found your love for costume design during college that's where like you know that's what i got out of that yeah. story was that's when like costume design really came about. What, how did it go from graduating from CalArts to like Black Eyed Peas? Like, tell us about your big break. You know, it, it was never a big break. It was always incremental sliding. You know, it's like, I, I, I while I was in school, I um, started interning for Petrozilia, which was a clothing label at the time uh, run by uh, my husband and wife team, Nani and Yosajori. They were, they were, you know, in every sense of the word, my mentors. I, I, I can look at myself today and see them inside of everything that I do. They're constantly critiquing me in my head, you know. <laughs> and, and what they did was they introduced me to fashion, they introduced me to fashion shows, you know, runways. They had celebrity clients. And uh, they, they did, you know, wild, kind of colorful, you know, eclectic things. And I just remember being there and thinking, like, so many possibilities have opened up. Because I didn't know any of these things were options, right? Like all of it just seemed so like fabulous and new. And it was through that uh, relationship where Chris and I really got the Chris is my business partner, where Chris and I really sort of got the framework of like what it is to run a company, what it is to deal in this industry. And 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 you know, as little as we knew, we felt like we had known so much more. Mm -hmm. That lasted about four years. And, and shout yeah. out to Chris, the unsung shout hero. Out to Chris, shout the out unsung to Nani, hero. The yes. <laughs> the, Chris, yes. The unsung hero, for sure. <laughs> we love you, Chris. Chris Pasila has taken every little seed that I've ever shit out and planted that and turned it into a fucking tree. Like, there is no greater source of 
consistency, you know, support, you know, Chris just really has made my life so much bigger than I ever could be. And I will say that, like, for all of the things that I've done to legitimize myself in this industry, the greatest thing that I did was find a Chris. And if mm-hmm. anyone out there is, is looking for advice, the best thing you could do is find a Chris. Find someone who believes in you, who is willing to sit there with you and, like, figure it out. Yeah, what I was saying about, uh, you know, you not knowing where people are looking, you, we were always we were always watching you. You know what I mean? I remember the first time Courtney came out, she was like, why do you guys call her shut up? <laughs> we were like, you know, I remember us telling her at Detox and I, this is a woman who will take a, an inch and will make a mile out of it. And <laughs> you cannot give her more than, than you can take. <laughs> You know, I mean, I love talking about me and we will get back to how <laughs> how I went from set to also working with you and Marco Marco. But I do, I, I want to take it back to Chris, the icon, the legend. The legend. We were, we were talking about Chris and your big break. And so not, I know you're very humble. Like, but I want to know like when... Like, what I, I want to know I, your big break. I think we were so getting what to I meant, Black What I, I meant by, like, incremental is that it was never, like, a big break. You know, like, I think what had happened, the way we ended up working with the Black Eyed Peas was I had my little shop. There was a stylist named Lori Phillips who was good friends with Will I Am, and they'd been working together since, you know, since they went to fit them or whatever. She walked into the studio, bought a pair of shoes, and asked me to help her with uh, a, a show that she was doing. Basically, they were testing out the new girls. Who was going to take over for Kim Hill, right? So it was like Fergie. It was another uh, girl that was a good friend of mine, Char Michelle. Um, there were like four or five girls that were basically like trying it out. And we had to put them in Will.i.am's fashion and they would go on stage and like do their talent, right? That was, that was technically be the break, right? Because that was just a dumb little thing that we did. But because of that, we ended up getting asked to do a month on the road with the Peas. And I had just started a season of American Idol, I think. And I really wanted this Black Eyed Peas gig, but I also did not want to give up American Idol. So we were like, Chris, go on the road. They don't really know who I am. Like, they won't know any different. You just go and do it. And it's only a month. You know, it turned out that Chris was on the road with them for seven years, basically nonstop. You know, that was when they started all of their world tours and it just never ended. Chris ended up going to like 80 countries. He worked every single day. I saw him maybe once every three months, you know, mm-hmm. and, and because he was on that job, I was able to stay here and build relationships. And I was also able to be a bigger part of the Peace family because Chris was there and he knew what was going on and we would be able to be the first designer on the jump, right? Mm-hmm. And we became, you know, we became sort of like their go-to. And through them, we met another very incredible friend of ours, Tina Ferris, mm-hmm. who was their tour manager. And um, through her, we were able to book, I think we booked Young Money, Lil Wayne, and that's where we met one of Lil Wayne's uh, artists named Chanel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Chanel Blidget and Chanel, you know, she was like, hey, can you do me a favor and make some clothes for this artist we have? She's only got, you know, 15 seconds. So we don't have budget for her, but we really want um, her to be dressed in something. That girl was Nicki Minaj. 
And we ended up, you know, she ended up blowing up and we did, you know, a few years of work with her, all her music videos. We did her first two tours, her album art, all that stuff. You know, through the shop, we met uh, a, a stylist named Maya, who was working at the time with another stylist named Johnny Wujek. And um, shout out Johnny Wujek. <laughs> shout out Johnny Wujek, shout out Maya. And uh, he, you know, he needed some cupcakes for Katy Perry. We had no idea that was going to be a huge thing, right? We were just making a little, uh, a silly bra. That ended up turning into like another huge relationship too. And so, you know, one by one, we would kind of like lock these people in. We were very blessed to be a part of that industry right to 2008, 2011. That was a huge time. You know, so many new artists came into the field then, you know, Kesha was brand new. We did. We did all of Kesha's. We did her first tour. We did so many costumes for her. We went to Life Ball together. Like that was another huge relationship. Um, We met Marjan and a few different stylists through that. Kesha brought us into, what is it? I think from there we did like New Kids on the Block and Backstreet Mm -hmm. Boys. And and, then it just grew from there. You know, I mean, it was like by the end of 2011, we were dressing almost every artist at the AMAs. I mean, there was one, there was one AMAs, I think, where there were three performances that we didn't have anything to do with, right? And we were just like literally running from the stage up to the top of the parking structure where all the uh, RVs were parked for the artists and then running back downstairs and then going to Katy Berry and then going to Cash and then going over here to this person. And, and it was just like, um, you know, a manic time filled with these people. And that sort of coincided with the beginning of Drag Race, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Drag Race was calling us in because they saw that we were working with all these big artists and, mm-hmm. um, you know. And, and, and I saw that too. I mean, I was a 24-year-old little girl who graduated from FIDM who was doing nothing with her with her degree and I met you and like through that, like through just even sitting in your studio, I always felt like, like going to fit them wasn't a waste. You know what I mean? Right. Because right. I got I got like to see someone that was doing like the dream, you know, like a 24-year-old girl like going into your studio and seeing every pop star that she like ever loved on your wall that you address them. Like that right. was that was so fucking cool to me. Like even in that journal entry I read, it was like my journal entry about you was like, I mean, he's a costume designer. Like how can I not want to be his best friend? Because <laughs> that that time, like, oh my God. And in the beginning of our friendship, you would like make me pieces and I would be like, like it made me feel like I was a pop star. <laughs> like right. I was like the pop star designer is making me a dress. So therefore I, I'm a pop, you can't tell me I'm not fucking Kesha, you know? Right. Right. I remember your, I remember at the time your idea that you pushed very often was that we should make you the same outfits that we were making for Kesha. And oh, uh, Iggy Azalea, we were doing a lot of her at the time. And you wanted us to make her the exact same outfit so that you could be front row at the show wearing the outfit that they were wearing for the first time. Like before Michelle A started doing that to Beyonce, I wanted to do that to Kesha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. And while all that's happening, Drag Race is starting for you. Drag Race is starting. Then you get Britney Spears during your time at Drag Race, right? Yeah, I think that was like 2015, 
2015. We we had already been working with Brittany on like one-offs, right? So we were making, we did Till the World Ends. And um, I think we did, uh, I can't remember the names, but maybe two or, two or three other videos. Those had sort of been like, you know, peripheral. Like we, we had been asked to make looks for different videos and we did, uh, but it was never like one-on-one -on -one contact, right? So when we got called to do the Britney Spears residency in Vegas, that was like, I, I think for me personally, at, at that point we had already done so many kind of like what I consider to be like, you know, iconic moments in the history of music at that time. But this was the first time where like, I was the, I was the B and the end, right? Like, like every other job I'd done before that, there was a stylist or a, or a costume designer who was sort of commissioning me to jump in on a section. But I had never been like fully in charge of a whole, you know, situation. And, you know, what a situation to be in charge of because <laughs> little did I know that only Jamie Spears was in charge. <laughs> the, whole, the whole time? The whole time. The whole time? So, I remember that we had worked on, um, you know, I, I had been working on designs for that Britney show for months mm -hmm. before I had ever met her or spoken to her. When I went into my first meeting with her, the show had already been through like six revisions, right? Like we had already sort of whittled it down to these like moments. They basically wanted to have it like all ready to go when they presented to her, which I didn't know. I thought that I was getting, you know, feedback from her the whole time. So when I went into the meeting, I'm showing her things like she's already seen them and she's looking at them for the first time. And so it was very much like, looking at her going like why is she looking at me like that like why, why do I feel like she's never heard of any of this or anything and she really had it what it are it. what are your feelings towards Britney Spears now that you've heard everything that's come out I honestly like like well obviously it's it's terrible and then and it's totally like makes so much sense you know and and really what I feel I've told Chris this is like I feel bad like I feel like you know, I feel like I was working for the wrong side and I didn't even know, you know what I mean? And that was because I was really, I was really sort of like impressed upon that I needed to sort of convince her that this was the way to go. And I like, when I look back now, like I don't really remember many times where I got to hear what it was that she actually wanted, right? Like, like she had some say in terms of like whether an outfit got vetoed or not, but like she didn't have a lot of say on like what those outfits should have been in the first place. And, and I never asked because I think I was under the impression that I was getting that information. Totally. But, and uh, I remember at the time you being surprised, like, this is so Britney. I'm shocked she's not into it. And now it probably makes sense. Like, it was like her dad. It wasn't her at all. Yeah. And I even remember, I remember one time going up to her. We all lived in that hotel for months. Um, the... I was going to say that's. I mean, I feel like me and you, I was visiting Vegas a lot at that time and you were like lived there. I remember you, like you knew Vegas so well oh at that God. point because you had been there for so long. I'd been uh, there so long that we opened a studio there and I was, I had, was working out of my studio in Vegas. You know, and, it, it, and we were, you know, at the time we were also doing, there was a new club called Hakkasan. We were doing mm -hmm. the day clubs at all of these different hotels. Like we were doing all the atmosphere and all the, and the showgirls and the dancers for so many things out there. And 
we had just finished doing CeeLo in the same hotel. And, and yeah. so we were very much Vegas people at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. So And I remember to, one time, yeah. yeah, I remember one time going up to her room, you know, to, to do a fitting and uh, Jamie and, and his whole sort of entourage were just sitting there like staring at us the whole time. And all she wanted to do was sit there with me and go through these outfits and look at them. And they wouldn't let her just like be with me. And so like, they just got into a screaming match and he he looks at her and he goes, I'm Jamie fucking Spears. And she turned around with a passion and a fire that I don't think I've seen since. And, and she said, I'm Britney fucking Spears. And they left the room like a group of dementors. I mean, they're just like. <laughs> <laughs> Run out and she turned to me and she goes, now let's get started. And I just remember thinking like, Okay, there's somebody here that I haven't met yet. <laughs> I fucking love that story so much. This is a Britney Spears stan podcast, so. For sure, for sure. <laughs> oh my God, that's so fucking cool. That's a really good story. I like that one. So you're in Vegas, you're doing Britney Spears, Drag Race, I'm still begging to be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget there was this one New Year's in Vegas and I swear this is when me you and Chris became friends I happened to be there with like my family I knew you were out there because you were Mr. Vegas at the time and I was like we should meet up on New Year's Eve and you're like I'm down I, I had gone out there with Yara Sophia alone I remember I like drove with Yara Sophia I was staying in her hotel room she had like gigs throughout the weekend and she was like do whatever you know I'll meet up with you at some point I went out that night alone. I met you at the hotel and I was like, let's go to the gay bar. And we went to the gay yeah. bar. We had I can't so remember what fun. it was called. Oh, it was Share? Share Nightclub? Share Nightclub. It was brand, yeah, yeah. Share Nightclub. Brand that new. was so fun. It was so fun. I think it was like a Paul Nichols and Ray Latrey night. I remember the yep. cast of the A-list Dallas was there. That's how long ago mm -hmm. this was. And I, in the middle of the party, Yara Sophia had finally showed up. It was like 12, it was like 11.45. I was so excited. She showed up. I went to run over to her. There was a puddle on the floor. I flew in the air right before New Year's and cracked my whole chin open. Blood everywhere. You and Chris are there. I'm like crying to you. You bring me to the bathroom. I'm like, what do I do? And you're like, you've got two options. And what were they? <laughs> you, you looked at you. You said, first of all, when you fell, it, you, you went like this with your hand. I just want to be clear that it was very much a face front. <laughs> when you slipped, that foot went back and your head went forward and you split your chin right here. And we went to the bathroom and you're like, is it, you go, is it bad? And you went like this. And it was just like bone. Oh. I, remember, I remember looking and going, it's not that bad. <laughs> you go, you go, am I going to need stitches? I go, yeah, you're going to need stitches. And, and you said, well, what do I do? And I said, you have two options. I said, you can go to the hospital now and go get stitches, but know that you will be going alone. <laughs> because I will not leave right now. It's 10 minutes to midnight. <laughs> you're like, what? ask this this guy for a butterfly bandage and yeah. see what happens yeah yeah but yeah you know i think you made the correct decision because 
I was like, if I have to go spend three hours in the emergency room with this bitch, I will fucking kill her. (laughs) We weren't even that, like, that was our, like, I think we had gone out one night for Halloween. But other than that, like, you were a working horse. I don't even think, and you were in Vegas, so we weren't, like, you know, gallivanting around WeHo. Yeah, it was quite the night. But I remember, like, that just, like, stayed with me forever because you and Chris were, like, totally by my side. And Mm. then after Britney, we were still on Drag Race, but I think it might have been coming to an end. I still haven't given the the reason why I left Drag Race on this podcast yet, but I think after listening to all of the episodes that the listener can kind of gauge why I I was like a little bit of a conflict of interest uh, towards the end. I had gotten so close with the queens and Marco and everyone, and I really like became like became something that was like bigger than I even thought you know what I mean I now reflecting back it was like I look back and I'm like I was just following my heart like I just don't I don't think you understood like the concept of like what it what was happening you know what I mean like the like these I don't think anyone really understands that these shows like you know same with American Idol or any of these shows like the point is really not about the show at all it's about um acquiring talent in, um, and and creating a platform for that talent before you acquire them so that they're like ready to go. You know what I mean? Like American Idol was really about 19 and, ni- and 19, you know, signing these people knowing that they're going to be stars. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it's rare that you look at someone brand new and that person, you know that that person in five days is going to have a million followers, right? Like, like those girls that go on that show become stars immediately because that platform has been made. Though that, those people become IP, right? To the company. And so like you were coming in and you were just thinking like, you're acting like, oh, like I, this is just a place where all these people are when really it was a business. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It makes I think sense it, now. Oh, if I were like to look, if now if I was on right. set and saw the younger me, I we've talked about this before, I'd fucking hate her. I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, Well, I think it was just like, you know, like it's like the, the kind of like things that you learn when you are in the industry because there are people ahead of you basically, right? And you were jumping the line, right? And, I was, and, and I, yeah. I think rightfully, I think rightfully so because I, I, you know, I think, you know, for whatever, for whatever everybody says about you, being what do they say about <laughs> <it>? <laughs> No, like for, 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 for whatever it is, like, you know, you are sort of like the ultimate ally, really. You know what I mean? You are a super fan. Lots of people are, but like lots of people are only super fans. And you really are a person who allies themselves, not just with the idea of the people, but with like the actual people. You know what I mean? For me, you know, I don't, really remember too many interactions with you (laughs) until we started the show because for me again like I saw there was this girl who was hanging out and she was like you know fun and like whatever yeah that was gonna be my that was gonna be my segue into Marco Marco show I wanted to ask you like how did I want your side of things so like me and Marco had kind of both been leaving the show Marco because he was so busy me for the reasons you just heard and we kind of came together to do Marco Marco show, but I don't like, how did it, the Marco Marco show begin? Well, um, you know, we had never done a fashion show because that, you know, we weren't fashion people. We were costumers. We had been asked to do a fashion show 
for like um, to benefit like um, an HIV project or something like that. And so we said we would do it. And, you know, they were they we had found, you know, models and whatever. And I was making clothes and I just was like very unhappy with the process in its entirety. Like I already felt kind of like weird about fashion because I thought it had like a sort of like a bad message. And I didn't really like that I was like making clothes like in the vein of somebody who cared about, like I was sort of like looking at it from the perspective of someone who was interested in that industry. And I was designing from that perspective and like not from my perspective, right? And I just, it felt like gross to me because it didn't feel honest. And I just have a very hard time with like that's that type of artifice. And it was very late at night and I was, I had I kept having this like thing roll around in my head which was like I just want to do this with my friends like I just want to do this with my friends I just wish that I was doing this with my people like I'm going into this hetero world I'm going to do a hetero show with all these women that I've never even like been like and I I remember calling up Chris and being like you know what if what if we just like fired everybody and just like only had drag queens in the show like what if we went into this you know women's wear fashion day and had just all of our drag friends <laughs> dressed up. And Chris was completely 100% behind the idea, which he never is. Like Chris and, I, <laughs> Chris and I could not be more opposite. And I think it's like one of the ways that we've been able to like navigate so succinctly through this world because when we both agree on something, we know that it's gold, right? Like, like he'll like something mm-hmm. or I'll like something. But if we both do, it's gold. And so the first thing I did was I think I called like detox or somebody and I was like, Hey, would you do this? Like, I just wanted to like test the waters. Right. Mm -hmm. And then she said, yeah. And I said, do you think like, you know, do you think Vicky would? And we, we asked Vicky. And then I think we had like three girls signed on and we were like, okay, this is a thing. And you were the next person that we talked about. It was like one, two, three. Okay. Queens are down. We just got to get enough now who could we call that would know enough queens that could get this together? And it was like, you know, uh, unanimously you, you know what I mean? Like this was that moment that you're talking about where it's like, we had been watching you the whole time too. And we knew that you had skills and it was just like, you know, it's like when the opportunity for those skills to be put in place, like they will be. And like, if you're ready to do that, you know, and you a hundred percent were, and you came in just like the most pro, you just wrangled, all of these incredible people. We had more girls than we could handle. We found us incredible guys. That show, I mean, we just really had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. We really, we really were just trying to like be disruptors kind of for absolutely no reason. And, uh, you know, we ended up getting this hotel room across the street because we were even scared about, you know, getting dressed in the room with all the other models. Like we, we were very like, Drag nervous. was not mainstream at this it point. It wasn't. Like, I, it was not like I was like people were still scared of drag queens. Like we didn't tell anyone, even from the production, that we were doing this because we thought that we were going to get kicked out. Like we we knew that this had to be just like a full surprise, you know. And mm-hmm. and 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 it it was even a surprise to us. I mean, I remember when we had finished getting ready in the hotel realizing that we had no idea how to get backstage from the hotel. And so we had, you know, 35, 45, uh, you know, models 
in full geesh, just like walking across the street of downtown in a line through the red carpet. The queens were stopping, taking pictures on the stuff and repeat into the fucking uh, main room where everybody was waiting. Like we went through the whole audience to get mm-hmm. backstage and then went just right back out the other way. And I remember the first model who came out was Vicky and she put a cigarette in her nose and was smoking it. And just as she started to walk down the aisle, you can kind of see it in the video. She kind of flicks it, right? Well, she flicked that cigarette like right into the middle of the audience. And I saw that thing flying like this in slow motion. And it landed on the lap of this girl in the third row. She was like right on the corner. And it just it just sat like right in the middle of her skirt. And I remember thinking like, we're going to go to jail. Like, <laughs> like we're going to burn this place down. We're all going to jail. This is like the end of my career. And I remember she sort of just started to like, like she started mm-hmm. to freak out because the cigarette was on her and then she got it off of her lap and I just sat there like waiting to see what was going to happen and she just stood up and went Woo! <laughs> and the whole audience started screaming and I thought like oh my god what the fuck is going on and you know all of a sudden it was like you know Lindsay Lohan had been paid to come see the show both them and that was after our show and so she just happened to be in the audience for our show. And she never even saw the other show because she wanted to hang out with us. She came backstage, we partied. Like, it was like, it was like the whole thing just became this massive thing. And then I think two days later, there was like a BuzzFeed article that was like, all models should be replaced by drag queens. And the show just took off. I mean, we were, we were like pressing, uh, what do you call it? Refresh and watching the, the hit, the numbers on the YouTube go up by, you know, 100,000, blah, 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 blah. And it was just really, really crazy. And we knew that we'd struck onto something big, you know? And it was the perfect timing because one, all that show was kind of like everyone that was in our lives already at the time. We had had gay porn star. Like it was always important from us from the beginning to represent like the whole community, which included like gay porn stars and dancers. At the time we were friends with every backup dancer in LA. Like if you were a famous pop star, like we knew your backup dancer. So, like, the shows were filled with, like, our gay backup dancers. We, you know, trans women. And so that's, it was just, it was insane. One, I, like, I said earlier, like, I went to FITM. So getting to work on a fashion show, like, really, I didn't even know I would be good at it. But it was so weird. Like you said, like, everything had prepped me for that. Like, I had just been trained the last four years to work on sets, which, like, I always say, like, people that got their start working on sets, like you, Ashton, Hector, like, all of us, it gives you this work ethic of, like, you can't work fast enough. Because on set, like, you can, you're never moving fast enough for for people. Like, you you have to constantly moving. So, like, that trickles into your work ethic, like, later in life. And it was insane. And at that same time, the, the the fashion show was also representing a new venture that you were doing, which was Marco Marco underwear. And for a long time, like people that don't like, you know, like newbies to the scene, they 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 thought that you like started as an underwear brand. How the story of the underwear brand is pretty exciting. Like, will you give me the cliff notes of it? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the real cliff note, the, the real beginning of it, is, um, you know, I'm seven years old. <laughs> I tell, I come up with a brilliant idea, which is underwear should be yellow in the front and brown in the back. <laughs> and, 
My mom does not think that's a funny joke and she makes me wash my mouth out with soap. <laughs> and then the, the next time underwear enter my life is, uh, you know, Chris and I worked with a group of our friends in CalArts. There was a spring fling party that had been canceled. And so we knew that there was budget put aside that was not being used. And we decided to throw what we called the erotic masquerade, right? Which was like a, a hearkening back to the 50s at CalArts where they did an erotic masquerade. And we through this massive party that, you know, almost got me kicked out of school. I made a pair of underwear for that show, little like rose colored underwear. And I remember thinking like, boys don't get underwear like that. And then the next time was 10 years later on Drag Race where um, they had introduced the pit crew and they wanted underwear for the pit crew. And I said that I would make them, I know how to make underwear. I'll make them for free, but you guys gotta let me put my logo on them, right? And so that's what I did. And for, you know, that was probably, what was that season? This was the first three seasons, somewhere season in there. Season one, two, and three, I'm pretty sure featured Marco Marco underwear. You know, the show wasn't as popular in the beginning as it was, you know, six years later. And I don't think what we realized was people were going to go all the way back and start watching it from the beginning. And so season one even got more popular as time moved on. Right. Mm -hmm. And we started to get calls from bars and stores and, uh, you know, and clubs. This, and during this time, we were out in nightlife every night. And when you're out in nightlife every night, you know, everyone in town, like, and people we, are calling me going, how can I get these underwear? How can I get Marco Marco underwear? And they weren't real. Like it was like a thing that we had made just for those episodes and that was it and so you know we had said no and then the calls just started to be so like like common that we were like you know what like the abbey like we can make underwear for the abbey like we'll sell it as a lot right and that'll be worth it and so we started to only sell the underwear to clubs right and so now all the go-go boys at um the abbey were wearing them and all the go-go boys in our you know at share nightclub were wearing them in vegas and and then we started to get, you know, nightclubs in Australia and blah, blah, blah. And then we really started to get buyers. Hey, where do we get those underwear we saw at the Abbey? Where do we get those underwear we saw at the Abbey? And, and it was years before we actually started making Marco Marco underwear, you know? Yeah, well, like, that's why Q Marco Marco show. And then it became real because the, yeah. the underwear was in the fashion show. And then the show did so well that people, like, wanted more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. It was crazy. And it became a real, you know, I mean, and now sometimes people are shocked that I do anything other than make underwear. <laughs> well, because for a while, like one, like, yeah, it was just it, at that point, like you were, you know, it was, there was a need for the underwear. And at that point in your life, like it worked. Like I was looking back at it now and it's like, that was the best time for us to be doing what we were doing, like traveling so much, like being like, like we were doing Marco Marco pop-ups in little cities. I mean, I went to Lightball with you for Marco Marco. We went yeah. to Mexico City, Florida. Like, I mean, we lived in Florida. We went all over the world, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we really did. And I think, I mean, I think one thing that I learned from working in music is that there are like peaks and valleys, right? Like you will be big at the top of your album and then your album will go away and then you do something else. And then you, you know, and so like, I, I started to understand that there was like a rhythm to work mm -hmm. and um, that you had to be prepared for, for both. You know, like I can't always be designing the best costumes for the best shows. Sometimes there's just not gonna be a show, right? And so like those points became where I became an underwear designer. 
right? And then they had these two sort of like sister companies and I could sort of toggle them. So like if I was, if, if things were slowing down in the costume design, I would really ramp up the underwear, you know? And if things were mm-hmm. slowing down in the underwear, I would ramp up the costume design. And, and we were able to sort of like keep ourselves in the, in the eye of the public mm-hmm. constantly through these different mediums, right? Because ultimately like nobody can hold an attention for, for more than a few years. And we've been here for 20 years now and we've always been right there. And it's because we have stayed nimble Right. And we've 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 moved to wherever we needed to move because somebody doesn't have you. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like somebody has been waiting for their chance. Like somebody's in line to find who those people are and give them that chance. And then you never know what's going to come from that. You know, are you the first are you the first person to win an Emmy for drag? Mm, I don't think so. I feel like didn't they didn't someone win on Drag Race for like Lady Gaga? Oh, I mean, Zaldi, maybe. Yeah, I mean, and 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 still and not even drag. saying still not drag. And, and, and you know, <laughs> when I won the Emmy, I won it um, alongside. Yes, alongside Domino, Domino Couture. Shout out Domino Couture. We love you, Domino. Diego Montoya. Shout out Diego. We love you, like, Diego. Two, two of two of the designers in this particular field who I think are just like really talented. You know. I, I was reluctant at first to go on that show because it had been years, really since Drag Race, that I had been on a set, right? And um, um yeah, I want to. I let me set that up. So, so Marco now works with. We're here. I just want to. I, I want them to know the show that we're talking about. So right, right, right. So, yeah, yeah. So Marco. So yeah, tell me about we're here. Tell me about winning these Emmys. Yeah, so I mean, we're here. It was something that Eureka had asked me to work on with her, and I sort of had said no uh, several times because I just like, I think you know, it's like when you when you leave something and then mm-hmm. you're asked to go back to it, like it's scarier. And I just didn't know. And why is that? I don't know. It's just like I I felt like I didn't know if I was like a different person now, and I didn't know like like how busy am I really? Like, can I handle leaving the studio? Like I become so accustomed to running the shop that like it was, I'd sort of become like agoraphobic, you know, I didn't want to do anything outside of the shop. And so I like- think, we, I think it's cause we like, we pre, like we, we pre-expose ourselves to anxiety that's like not even there yet. Because that happened yeah. with the last fashion show we did. It had been so long. I was like, can I still do this? Like, do I yeah, still me have too. what it takes? You know what I mean? Me too. So, yeah, so with, we're here. So, yeah, so, um, you know, what I did was I was, you know, I started making her outfits. She was transitioning out of one designer and looking for another, and she was hoping that would be me. And so I was making pieces, but I wasn't going on set. And then I went on set for the next season because I'd kind of seen how it looked, and it looked really cool. And I thought, you know, like, let me just do this and, and have a new experience, you know, I never watched We're Here until after I'd won that Emmy. Like, I'd never even seen any of the show. I didn't even really know, like, like I'd been filming and stuff, and I had no idea really what it was. And I was really scared to be, like, I was scared to, like, work with other designers, you know? Like, I like I knew that they already had this, like, rapport. They'd already been on the show, and, and I was coming in to replace someone that they had been working with, and, like, all of that made me very nervous, you know? And so like, I remember going to set on the first, for the first time was very much like 
your first day at school, like, you know, like mm-hmm. making sure my backpack had everything in it, like <laughs> walking so in and like, and like seeing them all. And, you know, they're all like, Hey, Hey, new guy, you know? And I just remember being like, so scared of like <laughs> what was going to happen. And I ended up having like just the most incredible time, you know, specifically mm-hmm. with, with Domino and Diego, because I, I just like, you know, I, I'm lucky to have Ashton in my life because mm-hmm. Ashton and I do very similar sort of things. And it's really, I feel like it's really important to have someone who understands like the idiosyncrasies of your, of, you know, what causes you stress because then you have someone you can vent with that understands. Mm-hmm. But he was the only person that I'd ever had that with. And so to be able to go on set and have these other designers who did drag, right? And we are like in this room that's for us and we just have to make these pieces and we're just like, really like nerding out and it, it just was such a like incredible experience and it just brought so much like joy to me and I talk to those boys all the time and I just like feel so blessed to be a part of that and I couldn't even believe that we won the first Emmy because in reality like I hadn't been on set you know mm-hmm. and the boys had been like really gracious enough to include me because the episode that they uh, used for applying to get the Emmy was the episode was one of the episodes that I had worked on, you know, because mm-hmm. I hadn't done the, the full season that time. And so I felt really like honored and grateful. And it, I just was like, you know, the kind of people who have the forethought to like do something like that are the kind mm-hmm. of people that want to be around, you know, like, yeah. And people who care about their work. Like, I think the other thing that is really exciting to me about drag is that these people are, are willing to put themselves out there like in so in every aspect in every you know facet of that word like they are doing that's what queens taught me like like, it's like if if they if if my queen friends have like the nerve to do like because it does take nerve um to do the hair the bank it's all of it it's all fucking it's it's like if they're using all of their capabilities to be successful then why the fuck am i not exactly i like to be around people that like make me feel like i'm not doing enough Mm mm-hmm yeah, and you um, do I, that. I mean, whenever I have a fucking lazy day, I have to like ask my therapist if it's okay. And it really stems down to the fact that I live and I'm so close with people that work their fucking asses off. Yeah. But I think you need that in your life. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, this was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. But like, for me, that is the only way to do it. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't want to be, if I'm going to do something like half-assed, then I should be doing something that is half-assed. Like, like I, like I would much rather be working um, a, a nine-to-five job that, like, I don't get any credit for, right? That, it, it, like, I'll do that half-assed, right? Like, if I'm gonna do something that has my name on your it, your name on it, represents my family, represents my friends. Like, I feel very, like, you know, personally connected to the to my clients, to my, my coworkers. Mm-hmm you know, to my peers. And I, if that's like, if I'm looking at these people and I am like they're stars, then like, I need to represent myself in the same way. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Rhea, Rhea working her fucking ass off, like making these clubs pop was such an inspiration to me. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like here's this person who is just turning every little grain of sand into a sandcastle, right? Like, I should be doing that with my own life, too. And that's the only thing that I want to spend my time on. Like, 
if I am going to be not with my family, you know, not on the beach, like not whatever, like then I want to be doing like the most important work of my life at all times, right? And so like whatever the project is, whatever I take on, I try and make it back. And the reality is like, you don't know, right? Like I didn't know Nicki Minaj was going to be the one. I thought it was Chanel, right? I didn't know Iggy Azalea was going to pop off, right? Like I didn't know any of these things at the time, but I took them seriously and I gave them everything that I could give. And um, that paid off in ways that I had nothing to do with, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like you have to enter every moment like that. And also like when you do enter every moment like that, you're honoring the people in their own dreams, right? Because like, you don't want to be the reason why someone else, like someone else's shit falls through, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so I think, you know, but I also think that that's, that's how you already are. Like you already are a person. I mean, like in the best possible way, you are the girl from Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion who runs in and is like, he's coming on the helicopter. Like, <laughs> Wait, I don't even remember that character. She's the one who like Romeo always tells to fuck off. She's like, <laughs> can you not tell me to fuck off? Like you're that girl because you're just like in it, right? You're like student body president. Like You want to be like in the middle of every conversation and like, you know, you want to be like a part of everything. And I, and like, that's also why people call you shut up Chanel, right? Because you would just like show up, you'd be like, I have something to say about that too, right? <laughs> but it was just out of a desire to be a part of these really cool things that were happening, right? And I think that that is the best quality that you can have if you're going to be in a creative field, you know, because nobody's really telling you how to do it, right? Or whatever, you know, you can have to find those, those clues on your own. Oh, it's so true. So you feel good. You feel good about winning two Emmys now. I mean, you know, the first one felt like, definitely felt like, you know, it could potentially be a fluke. <laughs> so so winning a second one for the same show does feel, does feel um, validating. You know, it's, it's, it's a nice thing to have. And it's a nice thing to have a second one to share with Diego and Domino because I think that like, I don't know, that just builds a sense of camaraderie and family that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, with every, like, there's highs and lows to, like, every career. Like, what would, what is, is this your highest moment? I don't know. I mean, it's never really, that's not how I, like, ingest the experiences. You know, mm -hmm. they don't, I don't, I'm not really able to, like, see things until they're, like, long past. They were all Hubber high moments. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like, they were important to that moment in time. And like, mm -hmm. there's no way to like compare them, you know? The Emmy is exciting, but I'm also doing like a bigger show with a bigger budget and bigger costume. So it's like, I don't know, could I have done that 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Will I be able to do it in 10 years from now? Who knows? Mm -hmm. What I do know is that like, you know, that fashion show, that first Emmy, like, you know, that that first concert, like I do remember thinking like, this is either the high, highlight of my life mm -hmm. or, or like, this is either like the day things get good or this is like just the best thing that ever happened to me in my career is downhill from here. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> m mostly for me, when good things happen, it's like I'm filled with a sense of fear. <laughs> like, well, I do. I do think that like deep down, you still think you need to prove yourself. And oh, for I sure. And I don't think you do. But I know that that's a driving force inside of you. But like most people would be like, Marco, you have nothing to prove anymore. <laughs> like, you're great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess it's because I never had, like, a clear idea of, like, what it was that I was proving, right? And so it's like... That's how 
I feel. I yeah, it's people like, look at me like I'm accomplished, and I'm like, but I'm am I? Enemy. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, I want to. I want to. You know, I'm still alive, and I'm still broke. So, like, as long <laughs> as I have to work. I have something to prove. You know what I mean? Like as long as, as some long other as long as Marco is stuck living with me, he's going to go to work every fucking day. As as long as some other person is paying my bills, right? Like as long as someone else's money is what I need, like I'm gonna have to prove mm -hmm. myself. You know, and I think it's like you say, like I love costume design, but it's like not what I thought I was gonna be doing, right? Like there are other things that I wanna do. It's like like I want, I don't know yet. You know what I mean? Like if I tell you, I'll ruin it. But. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We like to keep things. But like, like, you know, you know that I've been working on a few different projects and like, mm -hmm. um, those are things that like, I feel also equally as like, that are going to be important to my future. Like mm -hmm. in the sense that like, these are things that I want to do to prove myself in other ways. Right. And so like, I think it's just also like, what else am I going to do? Like, like uh, we have been all around the world. We have been to every single club in every country. You know, we have had- There um, really isn't a gay bar. Like whenever someone asks me if I've been to a city, I Google the gay bar because then I know if I've been there. And like, you know, yeah. Chris and I, we've, we've had dinner and drinks with fabulous people, all of, um, you know, we've done all of these incredible things, mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, those are not like goals anymore. Right, like now the goals are just to like create a beautiful story, right? A to create a beautiful life, yeah, and to create something that um, is is true to itself and that stands the test of time, right? I don't know who I would be without all of the people who inspired me to try, right? And so it's like after a certain point, you're like, what are you living for, right? Are you living for these experiences or are you living to? Um, continue to build on something that you've noticed people think is good, right? That's so fucking tea. Because I, I think I spent majority of my life living for other people. Mm -hmm. And until COVID and I got like a second to like sit the fuck down, like, oh my God, I get emotional even thinking about it. But like, I think you hit a point in your career where you're like, I need to start doing stuff for myself and not yeah. everyone else around me. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, you know, I remember talking to Chris uh, when you had first kind of said a few things about wanting to say, do a podcast. And I, I didn't say anything because I know you're, you know, you, you, every word is a thousand times bigger than you think it is with you. And so like, what I remember the first, it means that if I had said it was a good idea or a bad idea, it would have informed you in a way that like, it's not my place to inform, right? Totally, like that's totally like, it's like, I have to kind of like, gloss over it and ignore it until it becomes a little more solid in your own head and so it's like I remember talking to Chris about it first and being like hey you know Chanel's been talking about this and we both were like this is a really good idea for exactly the reason that you say you know it's like I you spend a lot of your life trying to please the people who you think are going to put you in a good position and then you hit a point where you start to realize like you know I'm the person that I need to really be pleasing here and I'm not going to be able to go any further until I do. And I think that this podcast is like the first thing that you've ever done for yourself. You know, like everything that you've done up until this point has been in order to bolster someone else's career. Right. And that's okay because that's part of like what you do, but it's not the same as having something that you own. 
having something that you did for yourself that you're proud of that 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 speaks to who you are as a person mm-hmm. and you know I think that's what makes this thing so cool you know I remember the first time I heard you on a podcast I can't remember whose podcast it was Gigi Gorgeous maybe maybe Gigi's and I remember thinking like, wow, she will not stop talking and it doesn't annoy me. It doesn't annoy me because, <laughs> you know. Because you can turn me off whenever you want. The radio is a place where you're supposed to keep talking, so. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. Oh my God, even doing this. And we're like, we started early this morning. I felt like I was like fucking Ryan Seacrest getting up at 7 a.m. to get on a microphone. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Ah, well, I mean, I will wrap it here. We really did go off. And, but like, honestly, I would not be who I am today without you. You've taught me so much about like who I am as a person. And I won't cry because you hate when I cry, but I just want to so thank annoying. you. So <laughs> annoying. hates when I cry. But honestly, I just want to thank just... you for being the best. And you've always stuck by me, so. Uh, shut up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now you get it, people. Is there anything you want to plug or anything you want to talk about that you're like looking forward to? Do you want to talk shit about uh, anyone? Uh, uh, no, I mean, you know, I, we're, we're just doing what we're doing. We're excited for the, we just didn't wrap the next season of uh, We're Here, which is, you know, it's a different format and a different structure. So we'll see how that all turns out. We are, you know, we're, we, we haven't done our, we, you and I, haven't done our photo shoot and videos and stuff for the last collection so we've been you know cleaning things up and prepping to do that which i'm really excited about and um yeah queens get ready i'm gonna be calling you for marco marco photo shoots yeah yeah it's gonna be fun and uh that's it you know chris and i are working on a new website it's gonna be a whole different kind of not just an underwear site it's gonna be more all-encompassing of everything we do and so that's going to be our next few months and uh, I hope everybody likes it. <laughs> Yay. All right. Well, I, did you have fun? Was this fun? It was all right. <laughs> I fucking hate. I'm going to go cry. Uh, um, no, thank you for making this work. I of course. Know. Are you going to hang out with your family the rest of the day? Yeah, I'm missing brunch right now. They're all having brunch with Oh, the my babies. God. Go to brunch. Go kiss your family. <laughs> I love you so much. Tell me to shut up three times. Shut up, Chanel. Just shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. I love you. To my listeners, Happy New Year. And go kiss your Happy family. Happy New Year. Bye. Love you.